Section 7 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Cordebeck. Saturday, 20th August. Dearest Mamma, Today has been the loveliest day I ever remember. Not a cloud in the sky. We landed at Juan the day before yesterday about six, and the hotel we stopped at was quite decent, and although the windows of my room looked upon the inner courtyard, they at least had shutters. I wanted to go and see the marks the flames of John Dark's burning had made on the wall, but everyone was so hungry we had to have dinner so early there wasn't time. Canard de la Rouenesse is good. It is done here with a wine called Renache. I had two helpings, and just as we were finishing, the Vicomte and Antoine came in from the station. They aren't in uniform now, but their hair does stick up so, and somehow their clothes don't look comfortable. I like them in uniform best. Madame de Vermandoise talked to Antoine across the table quite a lot. That is the only way one may speak directly to a person, it seems. After dinner, we went in search of some place of amusement, but there was no theatre open, so we had to content ourselves with a walk along the quay, and then we came back and drank syrup. It is sweet and nice, and you can have it raspberry or gooseberry, or what you like, and I am sure if the people in England who drink nasty old ports and things could have it, they would like it much better. The Baron calls all the men by their end names, like Tournel, Croimer, Tremors, etc., and everyone is very devoted to her, and I dare say she is even older than you, Mamma. Isn't it wonderful? Jeanne now always sits beside me, I suppose he thinks he is my host, but I would rather have the Vicomte de la Tremors, who is very amusing. But to go back to one, it was a treat to sleep fearlessly in a clean bed after Vernon, and I actually had a bath in the morning. I don't know where Agnes retrieved it from. You can see Joan of Arc's flames quite plain. We went there as soon as we were dressed. Antoine would insist it was only the black from a smoky chimney, but I paid no attention to him. The horloge is nice and we did a lot of churches, but they always look to me just the same, and anyway they all smell alike, and I don't think I shall bother you with any more. We had breakfast on the Sauterelle, but it was so fine after we left the Nonne and yesterday that we could have it each day in the bows under the awning, and so had not to wash our forks and plates. The chateau was so picturesque, and such woods after you live one. Heloise did not sleep yesterday. Antoine talked so much, no one could really have had a comfortable nap. In the afternoon, the Marquise told us our fortunes. She said Heloise would marry twice, which made her look as pleased as Punch, but Jeanne did not think it at all funny, though everyone else laughed. She told me I should probably be an old maid, coiffeur Saint Catherine, and so I said in that case I should run pins into the horrid old saint's head. I simply won't be an old maid, Mamma, so they need not make any more predictions. However, it would be worse to be one here than at home, because even up to forty, if you aren't married, you mayn't go to the nice theatres, or talk to people alone, or even speak much more than yes and no, and you generally get a nasty moustache or something. We saw a whole family of elderly girls at our hotel at one, and they all had moustaches or moles on the cheek. We got here, Cordobeck, yesterday, soon after four. Our inn looks right onto the Seine, and is as old nearly as the one at Vernon, but fortunately beautifully clean. Only you have to get at your room through somebody else's. Mine is beyond the Baron's, 
and Madame de Vermandoise gets at hers through the Comtesse de Tournelles. Hers is the most ridiculous place, with a red curtain hanging across so that sometimes it can be turned into two. And such a thing happened last night. Antoine went in with the Comte de Tournelles to help him touch out the window, as Madame de Tournelles couldn't, when a gust of wind blew the door shut, and whether there was a spring lock or not I don't know, but anyway nothing could induce it to open again. So there they were. We had stayed up rather late, the landlord and the servants were in bed. Ray rattled and shook and pushed, but to no purpose. There was only a board partition between my room and Madame de Vermandoise's, so I could hear everything, and Tournelle said there was nothing for it but that Antoine would have to sleep in the other bed in her room. She screamed a great deal, and they all laughed very much, and all talked at once, so I suppose that was why I could not understand quite everything they were saying. At last the Baronne rushed into my room to discover what that noise was. She looks perfectly odd when going to bed. A good deal seemed to have come off. She is as thin as a lath, and on the dressing table was such a sweet lace nightcap, with lovely baby curls sewed to its edge, and when she put that on she did look sweet. It isn't that she has no hair herself, it's thick and brown, but she explained that having to wear a nightcap because of earache, she found it more becoming with the curls. I suppose it is an account of the waiters coming in with the breakfast that they have to be so particular in France how they look in bed. But to go on about the door. We sent the Baron's maid and Agnes to try and find the landlord, but after exploring untold depths below and above, they only succeeded in unearthing Hippolyte. He came up from his bed, looking just like that very clever missing link that was at Barnum's, do you remember? The one that sometimes was an Irish woman, and could do housework in a cage by itself. I don't know exactly what Hippolyte had on, but it ended up with a petticoat of red and black plate, and a pair of grey linen trousers over his shoulders. His whiskers and hair were standing straight on end, and his shaved bits were bluer than ever at night. He said a good deal of the French equivalent of, here's a pretty kettle of fish, and shrugged so that I was afraid the petticoat would slip off. And finally, when all the pushing and pulling had no effect on the door, he said people must resign themselves to the accidents of travel, and as there were four beds, he did not see that they had too much to complain of. At this moment, Heloise came out of her room to see what the commotion was. She understood it was her husband locked in the room, and she laughed too very much, and said they must just stay there. But when she heard the voice of Antoine, she seemed to think the situation grave. I suppose because he's not married, and she also did everything she could to open the door. Of course, if they had been Englishmen, they would have simply kicked it down, and got out without more ado, but the French aren't strong enough for that. Heloise became quite disagreeable about it, though as it wasn't John, I can't think what business it was of hers. She said it was because Antoine did not really try, and she was sure he had done it on purpose, upon which Madame de Vermandoise gurgled with mirth. I could hear both sides, you see, because of the wooden partition. Antoine came into the inner room and said he was du comme un petit agneau, but the Marquis said that he was un loup dans un peu de mouton and must go away. Finally, the whole of the rest of the party in different stages of the sablier got collected outside the door. No landlord was to be found anywhere. Then the old baron suggested quite a simple plan, which was for Madame de Tournelle to share Madame de Vermandoise's room and to leave the Comte and Antoine in her room. No one seemed to have thought of this before, and that is what they finally did, and at last we got to sleep. 
In the morning Lord Landort could still be found, and we had no coffee, but presently he arrived accompanied by two gendarmes, and goodness knows what other rabble armed with sticks, and they wanted to proceed upstairs. We had every sort of sacré going on between them and Hippolyte, and eventually the landlord almost crawled up apologizing and opened the door with his key. It appears that hearing the noise of the door being tried to be opened and Madame de Vermandoise's screams, he had thought it wiser to decamp for the night, as two years ago there had been a murder there, and he had had beaucoup d'embetement, he said, on account of it, and was determined not to be mixed up in one again. En ces affaires-là, il est bien assez tot d'arriver le lendemain, he said. Everybody was still laughing too much over the situation to be angry with them, and the coffee which we got at last was so good it made up for it, but you should have heard the pleasantries they made over the night's adventure. Cotterbeck is an odd place. It used to be inhabited by hundreds of Protestant beaver heart-makers, who fled from there after the edict of Nantes' affair, and so there are streets of deserted houses still, and so old, one has a stream down the middle. I would not go into the church. The usual smell met me at the door, so the Vicomte and Jean and I went for a walk. And now we're just going to start on the Sauterelle again, and this must be posted. I have managed to write it on my knee, sitting on a stone bench outside the inn door. Goodbye, dear Mamma. With love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. End of section 7